Hello, how the tech are you? This is our weekly tech show on Echoplex Media. We've been off for a couple of weeks because of the holidays. I hope everybody's holidays went well. Got to see family, like eat way too much food and all the good stuff we do on the holidays. Got some good presents or something. I don't know. Anyways, I'm historian Matt. Uh, I like to talk about tech news and science news. And I got a couple of uh, news stuff going on. Um, one is, uh, it has to do with the uh, EV tax incentive. So new year, new EV tax incentive. And the other one is some script kitties messing with chat GPT. So you with the, I guess it's a pink mic, color's a little off. <laughs> I am HK Perrin, and I am a software engineer, so I cover mostly software engineering news. And this week, I've got a pretty cool story about PHP 8.2 being released. So I'll talk about some nifty new features of that. Uh, and then uh, over to you, the man with the black mic. So uh, I'm Dave. I'm the producer of this show and all the shows here at Echoplex Media. This week, I'll be talking about moderation in Horizon Worlds, which is... Uh, I guess Meta's, uh, a, uh, what is it, artificial reality thing or what a virtual reality world. And then uh, if you want to build new housing in the UK, you're going to have to install fiber. Right. Take it away, Matt. I'll give you a star wipe this time. <laughs> cool. Star wipe. All right. So my first uh, story today is... New year, new EV tax incentive. So if you have uh, been paying attention to this, this of course is in the US, and you've been paying attention to tax stuff, which I guess we start paying attention to now at the beginning of the year. Uh, we've uh, we got new tax incentives if everybody buys EVs. This, I think it was part of the, uh, what was it? The IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, as the, as it's called. But um, so it starts beginning of this year, and they part of it is removal of the two hundred thousand vehicle limit. I don't know if you guys know about that, but that was per car company when they sold uh, you know more than two hundred thousand vehicles, the uh, the previous incentive would drop off. So after the the two thousand two hundred thousand month vehicle would not have the incentive, and that was. Mostly not a problem for most uh, car companies, but of course, Tesla and I think GM made it to that level. I think it was GM, not Ford. Um, we didn't write down on my notes which ones were definitely Tesla. So they're removing that limit because they want they want a lot more people buying EVs, and it seems like you know all you know, all company car companies now are pretty much making EVs. So. It is, uh, the limit is not really useful anymore, but, uh, it's good for everybody else, everybody buying EVs. So it covers EVs. we got some plug-in hybrids are also covered under this tax incentive. And finally fuel cell EVs. So that's basically the hydrogen, uh, cars. If you can find them, they're, they're not very popular anymore, but I think those were added, uh, and I think plug-in hybrids were not included before. I'm not sure on that, exactly what was covered before. Anyways, it's a $7,500 tax credit. So it's a tax credit, not an actual uh, rebate or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you know, 
So you actually have to have taxes cost more than the $7,500 uh, to, to actually take advantage of it. So kind of really only helps uh, people with more money and have higher taxes. The uh, vehicle, electric vehicle has to have at least seven kilowatt hours that most full EVs will, will cover that. Don't know about uh, hybrids. Uh, and I think, you know, the fuel cell EVs, they just counted on how much of fuel cell carries. Uh, it has to weigh less than 14,000 pounds. I think there's, I don't, I don't know about that. There's, uh, I think for SUVs, there might be a different limit. I'm not sure, but uh, electric cars are very heavy with the big battery. So they don't want too big of cars running around, but um, there's, there, there's a cost limit as well. The price limit as well on these. So SUVs, trucks, and vans, they cannot cost more than $80,000. That's expensive vehicles, but, you know, not totally out of range for those. And um, for all other cars, the limit is $55,000. There is a list of all the vehicles that you can probably look it up online. Don't have it here. I think it's in the article that I linked to though on in the show notes list of all the vehicles that you know actually fall under this uh, category. So there is some weirdness with the Tesla Model Y I wanted to cover here and I don't know the the whole detail all the details to it but the Tesla Model Y does actually fall under the $80,000 limit but it doesn't count as an SUV or, or, or something unless it has seven seats. Some weird thing. So the only Model Y that actually counts is the, the seven-seat version. <laughs> so you're trying to get the tax credit, and the model Tesla Model Y is, the I think, the most popular EV car out there being sold at the moment. Uh, if you want to take advantage of the tax credit, you have to get the seven-seat version, which is not very common. Uh, not sure what's going on with that. Anyways, for uh, there, there are also income ca- caps. So if you're making more than a certain amount of money, uh, then you will not be able to take advantage of the these uh, tax credits. But they're pretty high. So for married couples, it's the cap is three hundred thousand dollars. If you're a head of a household, it's two hundred twenty-five thousand, and all others, it's one hundred and fifty thousand. And other limits, the half the credit is tied to where battery components are manufactured because they're trying to, you know, make North America, the U.S. and our close trading partners actually bring some of their manufacturing back uh, in, onto the continent. So if it's in the half the battery components have to be made in North America, um, well, it's so it's. 40% minimum of the battery components have to be manufactured in North America to get half the credit of the, the tax credit. Kind of complicated. And then going forward, each year after this year, that's going to be increased by 10% until it gets to 100% of the battery components have to be manufactured somewhere and in North the America. And then the next year, it'll be 110%. <laughs> what? And then the next year it'll be 110%. No, I think it stops at 100%. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I didn't want to go over some, those are the rules that will apply to most people. There are different rules for uh, vehicles leased to businesses and uh, slightly different rules for used vehicles. You can look them up if that's interesting, but I did, if you're interested in that and it applies to you, 
but uh, I didn't want to go into detail. There's so much stuff because taxes are complicated. What do you guys think? I don't uh, know. I think I it's cool. Bike. <laughs> I think it's cool. I think incentivizing people to get EVs is is good. Yeah. Um, I think the uh, the impact to switching over to EVs. I'm not so sure that this is, would impact it a lot. Because uh, I mean, right now, like just having an EV makes sense financially. Yeah. But you don't need the incentive to already have a financial reason to get an EV. Uh, but, you know, it's cool. I think offering, uh, like taking all of this money that is going into these tax credits and maybe instead putting it towards uh, building out the electric infrastructure, uh, building out public uh, charging stations, like not, you know, free electricity, but, you know, publicly accessible charging stations. Uh, you know, providing more incentive for building those would probably be a better route, but I still think it's cool. Um, as the only, uh, I think I'm the only one who owns electric car. Uh, it'd be nice to have more public accessible, uh, charging stations, but I can tell you like most of my charging is at home. It's not mm-hmm. that important, but, and of the traveling, you know, charging I've done traveling, I haven't had too much trouble finding a charger. <clears throat> Yeah, I think most people would probably fall under your situation where the, like the vast majority of their driving is within like 50 miles of their home. Yeah. But some people that I've talked to personally refuse to get an electric car because their their idea is that I can't go on a road trip if I own an electric car. And yeah. it's like, that's just not true. But if we made it even more not true, even more like indisputably not true, that would probably affect uh, EV sales more. I will say uh, it's not as much of a problem for a Tesla because they have proprietary superchargers. But if you have another type of EV car that uses the standard connectors, you know, and can't use a Tesla supercharger, it, it can be problematic to find chargers and particularly it's not finding the chargers. It's finding chargers that work or work at the level that you need. Because if you don't have like a high power charger, you're going to be stuck there for quite a bit longer. Right. You can be there yeah. stuck at a place for like hours charging. Yeah. Right. But I mean, aren't most like if people go on a road trip, aren't they doing three, 400 miles a day and then grabbing a, grabbing a motel room or whatever. And like a lot of hotels now have EV charging. Yeah, possibly. Them. Yeah. Uh, I think most place, most people would drive more than 400 miles. I think most people in a day, if they're road tripping, would drive just outside of the range of, of like, you know, most EVs. Huh. Most EVs are somewhere around 300 to 400, right? Uh, I think most of them are around 300. 400 is pretty rare. Okay. So most people could probably go outside of the range of their own EV. And just to put it in perspective, when I charge uh, pretty much all the superchargers I've charged at, it takes about 20, 25 minutes to charge my vehicle. And that's from like 20% to 80%, uh, which is what you're, you know, the amount you're supposed to charge it without damaging the battery. Uh, that's not a bad break. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you can get lunch or something while waiting or at least get out and stretch your legs. It's not too much of a, a burden. 
And I mean, it's honestly only like a little bit longer than it takes to fill up. And, yeah. And not for nothing, if you're going to go on a road trip, you could always just rent a car that isn't an EV. Like if you. That's true too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. You rent a brand new car that you've never driven before. Like, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> maybe not so on the topic of this, but have we figured out what we're going to do with all the batteries? Like once. Uh, yeah, there, I haven't covered it here because, you know, it's not like a news story or something, but maybe I should in the future. Basically, we can, we're getting much better at recycling car batteries oh, uh, okay. for, for EVs. We, we didn't before because there wasn't much demand. We weren't, even though there were EVs out there, they just, you know, they, they were still pretty new and not enough people had them. But now we're, we're actually starting to generate enough dead batteries to actually make it worth it to put investments into recycling. And it looks like we can recycle about 90, 95% of the material in, in, uh, dead EV batteries. Well, that's, that's good. good. That's, that's good too. Cause that's not, they're not entirely dissimilar to the batteries in our phones and our laptops and stuff too. So yeah. that, that's going to yeah. transfer down to like consumer electronics. Cause batteries were the, who are the bad one batteries were yeah. the bad, like, like, the circuit boards and stuff weren't so hard to recycle. And if you threw a circuit board in a landfill, it wasn't the, it wasn't great, but it wasn't like throwing a lithium ion battery in the landfill. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Fires for one thing. Possibly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your next story, Matt? So I got a second one. This is going to be a little bit more of a discussion. Let me bring it up here on my end. Uh, and I got, I have, I'll have a couple links in the, Show notes, but this is basically Chat GPT is enabling script kitties. And I just have this quick uh, quote from the article or the first article as within a few weeks of Chat GPT going live, participants in cybercrime forums, some with little or no coding experience, were using it to write software and emails that could be used for espionage, ransomware, malicious spam, or other malicious uh, tasks. So basically, um, doing a bunch of malicious stuff with it. Uh, script kitty is basically somebody who it's a derogatory t- term for low skill. Uh, I don't really want to call them hackers, but you know, malicious people on the internet. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, like a, a script kitty is someone who uses someone else's code to hack. They don't much, write yeah. their own. I tools. mean, there's, and so in this case, what they're doing is they're, typing stuff into to chat, chat GPT to, because they can chat GPT can actually write code. So they're having it basically write the code for them. Uh, there's some limits because chat GPT is not allowed to write malicious code supposedly. But if you kind of format your question properly, you can actually get it to do basically what they're doing is like partial code, code snippets and stuff that they would only have to, do a little bit more to, to make it actually uh, malicious and actually work in, in the real world. Uh, I feel like you guys probably have some uh, comments on that, some, some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I would say I'm not too worried about this because um, anything that they would get out of chat GPT is probably extremely low quality. I've seen the quality of code that chat GPT can write. You know, I've asked it just really basic uh, coding questions, the kind of things that I would ask on uh, like on a, a coding interview. 
and I would say it does an okay job, but like I probably wouldn't hire someone if they gave the code that ChatGPT writes. Uh, like it does have pretty significant issues that aren't immediately obvious, but sometimes they they're entirely breaking. Uh, so I would say ChatGPT is not at the point yet where it could replace uh, a competent coder. Uh, not to say that it will never be there. I just think it's not there yet. And also, I don't think it would really matter if it was because uh, we already have people that can write malicious code. Uh, so having a computer that can write malicious code isn't really that much different. Uh, it's kind of just like having more people. And yeah. I mean, if it's spitting it out, there's a record of it somewhere too. So it's going to like, you know what I mean? If, if you sit down and write malicious code, nobody knows about it. But if this thing spits out some mm -hmm. malicious code, there's a record of it somewhere. And so like people are going to know what it is. Well, yeah. actually, I think uh, it's almost backwards. Uh, if it's writing malicious code, uh, from what I can tell, it got that malicious code from somewhere that's public and and you know written down somewhere so it's probably well known uh, it's like kind of hack those uh <laughs> those those that, like that's a good those commercials about like when the dad finds the kid with drugs where did you learn this and it's like i learned it from watching you dad <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah i think um, um hk brought it up but uh you know the code is pretty bad in fact the code coming out of chat gpt has been banned from stack overflow because there's so many problems with the so many bugs in the code that they just will not allow uh, chat gpt to answer the the questions so culture. just to give an example i asked chat gpt to write a javascript function that would uh look through a web page and wrap everything that looks like a phone number in a a link with a tel scheme to make it clickable on mobile uh and it it actually did some like surprisingly good things it wrote a regular expression to find phone numbers it went through all elements on the page it extracted the its contents and wrapped the the phone number part in a a link just like i asked it to the problem was it did that for every single element on the page and it did it using text content which strips html so the first element it would get to which would be the html element it would strip every html element underneath it which means no head element no body element no divs no spans basically nothing just text contents so the page would immediately break <laughs> Maybe you but didn't, like it, maybe it, you didn't it would just take one little line to fix that. Yeah. Right. Maybe you didn't maybe it's because you didn't tell it not to do that. <laughs> maybe if you're like, well, do I not, mean if it do not remove the if headers. If it truly understood the code, it wouldn't do that. But it doesn't understand the code. It's just taking code that it sees and a description of that code and going, I can write code that looks like that code. And for the most part, it did a good job. It just it made a, a glaring mistake. It broke it. Yeah. 
Well, cool. Yeah, I don't have much to say on this except that, like, <clears throat> I think, you know, these people who are going to borrow and use other people with malicious code are going to get it however they're going to get it. And I think if they're going to get, like, substandard code from, from this chat GPT thing, that's probably better than them getting good code and, like, <clears throat> you know, novel code or whatever. So, like, l- let them do it. <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a <laughs> crappy way to get an exploit. So, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really not too worried about it. Uh, I think the the thing that that actually does worry me though is uh, typically when you see those kind of like phishing emails, they're pretty easy to spot because they're yeah. riddled with like spelling errors and grammatical errors. And yeah. you could use Chat GPT to write a convincing one that was actually like spelled correctly and grammatically correct. Do you know why? Do you know why the phishing emails are so bad though, HK? I've heard that it's to it's to get rid of like the non-gullible people straight yeah. away like as a big filter but I don't know if I believe that because like why would you care if non-gullible people entered their password like you still have their password Huh <clears throat> Well I thought it was I think the idea is that I think the idea there is so that basically non-gullible people dismiss it and think that it's so poorly written that no one would fall for it and they don't alert maybe they're not going to alert someone else in their organization about it because they're like well nobody here is going to fall for this dumb shit and so like that's that's the reason i think and it's not just phishing stuff it's like scams too are written like that to make sure Mm -hmm. that you know that they're not going to waste their time on somebody like trying to do some kind of social engineering on somebody and then somebody halfway through goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, uh, I think it would be, it would be better for the scammer to have one that was like, that looked legitimate. Oh, huh, maybe. That's, that's my thought on it, but I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's not always the same reason. Maybe it's one of those things that sometimes, sure, they're looking for extremely gullible people and they'll maybe if they're if it's a scam versus like trying to fish an organization, if they're trying to scam your auntie or whatever, maybe they want to make sure they're getting someone gullible. But if they're trying to get like somebody's password in some organization, maybe if it's poorly written, it's just because they're not good at writing in English or whatever. So it could be that depending upon what's going on and depending upon the context, it might the answer might be different. Yeah, but regardless, having the ability to ask ChatGPT, like, hey, can you write an email that, you know, asks someone to to unlock their account by entering their password, like, that's kind of, that's more dangerous, I think, than than ChatGPT writing shitty code. Uh, not for nothing, most most legitimately large hacks, as we call them, most data breaches and whatnot there's a social engineering element to it anyway yeah you don't just brute force your way into some system it's like that's not it's not that movie hackers right the (laughs) the lone gunman from the x-files aren't real you don't just break into a system by typing 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 i mean you there are (laughs) systems you probably could and there are ways you probably could but it's a lot easier to just trick somebody or yep. I don't know, give <laughs> send a send someone that uh, a person high up in the organization might be attracted to to speak with them. Yeah, yeah. more like spycraft and less like the movie hackers. More burn notice, less hackers. 
All right, I guess HK? All right. Uh, So my story is about a new version of PHP. I used to actually be a PHP developer. So PHP, for a long time, had a special place in my heart. And then I completely switched to JavaScript. And now I look at PHP code and I'm like, wow, I used to write this? (laughs) But you know what? Still, like most of the websites on the internet are written in PHP. So uh, PHP is still a very important language. And today we're going to talk about PHP 8.2. Uh, which introduced some interesting features. Read-only classes is is very interesting. Basically, instead of marking like a uh, marking properties and uh, and well, I guess you can't overwrite a method in PHP, but right marking properties as read-only uh, in PHP now you can mark an entire class as read-only, and then essentially the only thing that can change that data is the constructor of the class. So in the constructor, so, it's assigned a value, and then that's it. Cannot be changed. And you also can't add uh, dynamic properties to, uh, to a read-only class. Dynamic properties will give you a fatal error if you try and just add a property. A dynamic property is just a property that isn't defined in the class. You're just adding something else onto that class. So that makes uh, and it speaking a, of dynamic... What was that? It makes it a uh, immutable object based on the the class level uh essentially yeah it's like making uh it's like freezing an object uh in other languages uh it's similar to that so uh speaking of dynamic properties though also php 8.2 has deprecated dynamic properties uh if you don't as the author of a class if you don't explicitly opt that class into allowing dynamic properties uh, when you add a dynamic property to an instance of that class it will raise a a deprecation notice so uh, that's good i think because dynamic properties lead to a lot of errors and mistakes Uh, i think having the the option to explicitly opt into them is pretty neat but hopefully ideally we would be getting away from needing to have dynamic properties uh, make everything strictly typed <laughs> uh, another really neat thing that i didn't even realize php didn't have before this is null false and true standalone types uh meaning you can you can define that a function will return specifically false not boolean but false and you might think well why would i want uh, a function that is always only going to return one thing like true or false or null Uh, and the answer could be uh, if something fails along the way it will throw an error Um, otherwise it would return true uh, so you you might be you know checking the the return value of it um, in an if statement to see like did this thing complete through and you know if it if it doesn't then obviously it would fall to a, a catch block the the most recent catch block in the stack uh, if you threw an error uh, so you know it could be something like that also it just seems kind of weird to not have it so. Uh, yeah, you can explicitly say like this function will only ever return null or, you know, uh, false or true. 
It could also be you don't useful have to say for boolean for like stubbing out uh, functions and stuff. You're, you're still working on it. You're not done, but you know, for now, you're just going to return true all the time or something. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. Later. Uh, <laughs> you could say like this will eventually turn a, return a boolean, but for now, it always returns true. Yep. Yeah. Um, another really cool thing that I would love to see in more languages is there is a new random extension in PHP 8.2 uh, that allows for multiple instances. So it's, it's got these random classes and it, it allows for multiple instances of these classes that each have their own unique seed. And the reason that's important is a lot of computer security relies on randomness and the way computers do randomness is oftentimes like exploitable you know you you could have uh like let's say for example you know two programs are each going to use a random number to determine uh what the the key to uh some cryptographic function is if those two programs are given the same random seed and they use the same function to determine a random key, then they'll end up with the exact same key. So in that case, having two extens- or two instances, if it were running in the same thread, having two instances, each with their own unique seed, would be very important. Uh, and the way computers do randomness is, is very odd and uh sometimes it even involves like really inventive ways of of determining random numbers uh one thing that i've seen is a uh a random number generator that uses input that it reads from an unplugged audio jack uh (laughs) as a random seed which is (laughs) is really neat because that's going to be essentially some of the most random data that you can get Yeah, so uh, those were the, I think, the the coolest new features about that. Do you guys have any questions? No. <clears throat> I think I mentioned most of my stuff. Um, yeah, I've never used PHP, so it's not that. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how this is all really affecting the overall uh, system, and kind of surprised it hasn't had some of these things. Yeah, well, PHP uh, in the last few versions, basically since version 7, they've really started to push towards adding a lot more uh, strict typing support. Because PHP back in the day used to be fully loosely typed. Uh, Every variable could be anything. And of course, that leads to a lot of bugs. It leads to bugs in PHP. It leads to bugs in JavaScript. Anything that is loosely typed like that, it's going to lead to bugs. So PHP has been moving towards an kind of an opt-in. You you can still do loose typing, but most new PHP code is written as strictly typed. Uh, just as how like JavaScript has moved a lot more towards strict typing in TypeScript. Uh, a lot of new JavaScript projects are actually written in TypeScript and then compiled down into JavaScript. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, moving towards strict typing. So A+. <laughs> Very nice. I guess that means it's my turn. And I've got <clears throat> a story about meta. And as one might imagine, 
they have this horizon world. It's a virtual reality space that people might call it the metaverse, but it's not the metaverse. This is their virtual reality space. And I don't know. Are you surprised that they're just now adding some uh, moderation features to that? <laughs> is this surprising <laughs> to anybody? There were ways well, where you could cost them like a billion dollars to build this thing. <laughs> that doesn't even work. They properly. Made, Apparently they it doesn't the... have moderation. <laughs> They made the whole thing without thinking about, hey, maybe we should have some rules. <laughs> so there was one thing that people, were, I did see people complaining about is what would happen is if you had an event or whatever, there was a thing where so that the event hosts or whatever didn't have to do all the moderation, you kind of vote people off the island in the events on there. But then as mm. people will do, they get together and brigade the event and just go in and kick out all the people who were invited. Like all the like the other original people who were there or whatever, the friends of the people who put the event on, uh, you couldn't kick out the event organizer or whatever, but it was basically like you would go in there and brigade and use you would use basically and then you would kick everybody out and then you'd spam the event with your whatever whatever you were trying to advertise. And so they made it so the event hosts could, for example, uh, turn off the, you know, vote people off the island feature. And I just, you know. Everything we know about Meta and Facebook should come as no surprise to anyone, actually, that uh, just simple <laughs> moderation tools are uh, we're not really the first thing they thought about. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Moderation is always an afterthought when it comes to Facebook. <laughs> and that and it's, you know, most of the people that I know who are using like these kind of virtual worlds are like young people, like kids not like the like five-year-olds, but a lot of like tweens and teenagers. And so you'd think maybe you should have a heavily moderated space for people who might be under the age of 18 uh, navigating mm. this virtual world. But that's not, that's not, that's not what you do over at Meta. So I just, I saw that and I was like, this is the most fuck. This is the most Facebook thing I've ever seen. I wouldn't yeah. let my kids play in, you know, if I had kids, I wouldn't let them play in Horizon Worlds, uh, not because I think it would be dangerous for them, but because I wouldn't want them to be made fun of by the other kids. Right. There's, <laughs> there's got to be a way cooler thing to do in your virtual virtual headset, right? Yeah. There's got to be like, you can play Roblox or something. I don't know. What are the kids playing? <laughs> yeah. But yeah it's just i i wasn't surprised and it's just more the same from um, basically from zuckerberg where he thinks of all like the good things that might happen from something and then bad things happen and he goes oh yeah but the, the thing with this is like you'd think he would have learned about all this stuff from facebook groups and facebook events that weren't happening in a virtual <laughs> world where where moderation and giving not only giving the uh not only giving like the event hosts or the group, the group owners moderation tools, but just more broadly having moderation on the, on the website or on the service is is good and giving people tools to prevent abuse is good. And it just kind of strikes me as odd that they would just be like, Oh, wait a minute. What have we been doing for the last 10 years? What has, what has been the biggest complaint about what we've been doing for the last 10 years? That's uh, Facebook's motto, right? Is move fast and break things. Apparently, the other part of that is to add moderation later. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't think first. <laughs> right. Just do things. Don't think yeah, before you speak. It should be don't think, move fast, break things. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now now my kid, my kid went to what he thought was a virtual concert, and he's being sold Bitcoin. This isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, my last story, and I guess the last story here is actually a really good story out of the UK. You can't build new housing in the UK if there's no fiber. 
that's it. That's the story. It's uh, got this from the verge and it England just made gigabit internet, a legal requirement for building new homes. So there's not a whole lot to the story. Okay. And uh, I just, you know, think that this is a thing that everybody should be doing if they are, you know, there are countries where this kind of internet isn't available anywhere. And, but like here in the United States or whatever, this should be the, this should be the requirement everywhere. Yeah. Do you know what the uh, limits are? At at least having, uh, like if you don't have gigabit internet, at least having like, uh, access to some form of like, uh, fast internet well you know, i'm not yeah. <laughs> not like HughesNet, <laughs> right something better than HughesNet. <laughs> and i think maybe in, in the united states there's a lot more rural area and there would be exceptions carved out based on population density but like here in san jose if somebody's putting up a new apartment complex and they're not they're not paying to have you know at&t or whoever roll out fiber to that apartment complex then they shouldn't be allowed to build the apartment complex right like yeah yeah, I, I mean, suppose if you live like 200 miles out in the middle of nowhere, probably HughesNet is fine for you anyway. Um, but yeah, it definitely if you live in the middle of like a suburb. Yeah, I think the U.S. should totally take this uh, strategy. But it won't happen in the U.S. Because we don't they don't like that. we don't like forcing people. We don't like forcing companies to do things here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, just <laughs> we can't seem to get our laws right. <laughs> Do you know if there's any like limits on this? Is this like any house whatsoever, uh, multifamily house only, or um, is it like can they just decide, hey, we're not going to have internet at all, or or what? Like everything. So this article doesn't actually have a lot of that, but it does say that like you know. Uh, it, you can't be asking the connection cost. It, it can't be more than 2000 pounds, like to get the connection per unit. So I think this would exempt people out in the country. Yeah. I think it would effectively do what oh, I had mentioned. Okay. You mean the company pays 2000 pounds, right? right. Like the, the, okay. the building, the, the developer. Like, I thought you meant like the first person moving in. It's like, sorry, you got to pay 2000 pounds to get your connection. <laughs> no, the developer. But I think that this, this would effectively make it so that like what I was saying, it would population density, right? Because if it's, okay. if it's sparsely populated, that 2000 pounds, you're not, you're not laying fiber out to somebody's place. That's a mile away from the nearest, the nearest place. It's, it's, it, you won't be able to do it for that much money. So I think it's, this is, I think that this is going to happen for the cities and the suburbs there too. I don't. Yeah. I think the rest of that sentence up there is important too. Uh, connection costs will be capped at 2000 pounds per home and developers must still install gigabit ready infrastructure, including ducts, chambers and termination points and the fastest available connection. If they're unable to secure a gigabit connection within the cost cap. Right. So basically it has to be ready to plug in gigabit internet as soon as it's available. Right. Once yeah. like once it gets rolled out or whatever, it needs to be in it needs to be ready to plug in. And not not for nothing, that's good too for just an internal network in, in your place if you want to run you know, if you want to just connect oh, yeah. the computers to each other, that stuff's good too. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well that's that's good. You know, it's nice to see nice to see some place doing something about their internet. Because I know people people I talk to in the UK say that sometimes the 
places where they live, the internet is atrocious and it doesn't make any sense much like, much like here in the United States. Yep. Yeah. I'm in a kind of rural area. My particular house is in a, a fairly dense suburb, but you go, you're not even a mile away and it gets pretty rural out there. And there's people have a lot of problems with, uh, uh good connections. Um, so it'd be nice if we had gigabit, gigabit, everything, everywhere around here. You're on a fiber connection there, yeah. aren't you, Matt? Uh, it, I don't know if it's fiber, but it is a pretty fast connection. Oh. Uh, it's if, either gigabit uh, or close to it. If I remember what you told me from your house, if you go just one mile away, you're now 50 miles from the nearest house, right? <laughs> exactly. No, <laughs> yeah. no, that's not right. <laughs> but if you go about two miles down the street, maybe three, there's literally a, uh, cow field you know field of cows (laughs) (laughs) what this article didn't mention is is this just gigabit down or are they talking about a like a a big boy connection are they talking about like a like a real connection Mm. where you also have upstream and it doesn't seem to mention that yeah (laughs) most people don't care about upstream but more and more people understand that it really has to be symmetrical because people are creating content from their house now that, it doesn't have to be symmetrical, but it does have to be like, it can't be like, yeah, you get a gigabit down, but you have like 400 K up. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, we had to do a gigabit here to get 35 up and it's like, come on, come on, just give, give us a hundred. <laughs> yeah. You just give, you have yeah. it. That's how it is where I am too. It's not even called gigabit because it's like 960 megabits down. That's, that's close enough. That's what then, they promise. You get, what, what, 20 or 30 up? Uh, yeah, we get, uh, we're supposed to get 35 up, but usually we get around like 25. Yeah. Awful, awful state of affairs. And it's, it's not, it's not because it's not because the kind of the coax connection can do symmetrical, like the, the kind of cable they're using can do a symmetrical connection. It's just that Comcast, when they installed like all the other infrastructure, it was pretty much dedicated to giving people downstream. And so if they want to give you more upstream, they do need to change. They don't need to change the wiring and the modems that we have from Comcast are capable of it. It's just their equipment. They're slowly changing out the equipment to get, it's not going to be symmetrical, but um, like here in, here in San Jose, in theory, by this summer, people on a gigabit are going to have 150 or 200 up in That's theory. Good. And eventually we'll need that. Uh, just for like everyday stuff. Yeah, I mean, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna broadcast a hologram of myself to Twitch when I'm 65, we're gonna need some serious <laughs> upstream. I mean, the, people's requirements for downstream obviously have skyrocketed with things like streaming video, but people's requirements for upstream have even skyrocketed recently. I mean, you talk about like you know you you're doing a video conference, you're pushing video up, and it doesn't have to be like amazing quality, but even to push 720 video up. You need a few megs, right? And that's, you need that reliably that you don't need that. Like from speedtest.net. you need that from like, yeah, I can get this from discord or Skype or teams or whatever I'm using and I can get it consistently and ping yeah. time. People yeah. are starting to learn that ping time matters. It's not just for gamers anymore. Yeah. To a certain extent. Yeah. Okay. Whose turn is it to read us out? Uh, I don't think I've done it in a while. So, uh, why don't you star wipe me in? Uh, you, you insist on the star wipe? For, 
Yeah, there we go. Thank you for checking out the show. This is our weekly show, How the Tech Are You? Uh, we have several other shows that you can check out at echoplexmedia.com. Uh, if you want to see us on Twitch, we stream uh, several times a week. That's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. And if you want to toss coins at our face, you can do that over at patreon.com slash echoplex uh, and have a tech and great week.